What's up, everybody? I am Justin Murphy, and this is Other Life. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to live a life of the mind in this era of machine intelligence. But before we get into it, if you're watching on YouTube, please just take a quick minute to subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on the podcast, I want to thank you for letting me into your ear. That's a serious honor, and I take that very seriously. Just want to appreciate that for a minute. The way I see it, there are roughly two competing viewpoints, two alternative hypotheses we might entertain as we try to think about this challenge before us right now, as we parse the threat of AI, the promise of AI, however we want to think about it. First, there is the option of what we might call categorical humanism. This would be the view that just outright rejects the legitimacy of AI for intellectual purposes. And it just refuses all of the affordances provided by machine intelligence for the purposes of thinking better, reading better, writing better. The second alternative way to go, the second sort of tempting option is what we might call just unreconstructed Faustianism. This is the viewpoint that gives up all of the unique privileges of the human mind and says that machine intelligence is just as good in every way. And at a certain point, it's going to be even better. Machine intelligence is the beginning and end of thought as we know it once it reaches a certain level of takeoff. My view here and what I'm going to contend in this talk today is that I believe neither of these positions is fully consistent or defensible. The way I see it, naive humanism is romantic. It is kind of alluring to say nothing but the human mind. It's irreducible, it's irreplaceable. Machine intelligence is categorically never going to compete with that soulful, qualitative uniqueness that is the human mind. That's tempting. It's beautiful. It feels kind of inspiring and it's romantic, but it's just not convincing. First of all, it's not practical. And second of all, it's not really logical because clearly we use all different kinds of machinic prostheses all the time for elaborating our thought, extending our thought and increasing the power of our thought. So no one really believes in true categorical humanism, if we're being honest. The naive Faustian position is also inadequate. Faustianism in its pure form is powerful, right? It's also very alluring. It's exciting. It's like, let's take all the powers we can. Let's let go of the heavy moralistic responsibility of using our mind responsibly and thoughtfully and carefully. There's something kind of liberating and exciting about just saying, you know what, let's go all in on the machines. The human mind is over and let's embrace it. That's powerful because you can, you know, certainly do tremendous things with machines, especially if you release and relinquish all of our human compunctions. But ultimately, I think that the Faustian position also fails because these machines are ultimately meaningless. They, they cannot make kind of ultimate driving or steering decisions around what is truly valuable or what truly matters in the long run. There is something that seems to be kind of mysterious about that highest level of thinking, reflecting and, and decision making that the machines are never going to be able to solve for us, you know, and to imagine that they could is kind of a, it's a form of bad faith. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of cop out or just a decision to be irresponsible about our ultimate human condition and the questions that it has fallen to us to, to answer whether we want to or not. So I think Faustianism, it also has its temptations, but it's just not logically defensible in an ultimate sense because it punts on precisely what the biggest questions are, which is how should we steer these 
these machines? To what should we steer them? We can set them up and have them answer certain questions and have them operate certain very elaborate procedures. But at the end of the day, we do have this kind of power over them, at least right now, to to set them up in a certain way and to orient them in a certain way. And our question is, what do we do with that? How do we how do we choose to do that? That's an irreducibly human question and a kind of naive Faustianism feels like it's a solution, but it's ultimately a cop-out. So I think both of these two competing viewpoints are ultimately un unsatisfying and, and neither one of them is adequate for a coherent position for us today as we think about these things. Hey everybody, this is just a quick interruption to invite you to the new Other Life community. We are now really moving in the direction of a network state. It's pretty crazy. We will give you a fully-fledged personal server and a special desktop application from our partners at The Hollywood Company which will let you and all of the members in the community compute together on the peer-to-peer sensor-proof Urbit network. It's still early, but it's insanely cool. If you're into the other life ethos, like if you're a writer or a software developer or whatever, if you're all about freedom and self-reliance outside of institutions, then we want to meet you. The community is now totally free to join. We have other ways now of filtering and sorting people later based on their abilities. It's kind of like the USA of the 1840s. Anyone could get on a ship and go to America, but only some would rise the ranks depending on what they were able to do. To join, just go to otherlife.co forward slash join. That's otherlife.co forward slash join. The challenge lies in correctly understanding the different aspects of human cognition, I think. Kind of breaking them down into different parts and getting just a little bit more refined about what exactly is going on here. I think we need to judiciously decide which elements of thinking can be outsourced to machines and which elements cannot which ones will have to remain uniquely human if you divvy things up and you just look at things with a a, a finer tooth comb that's how you make some progress on this on this thorny question i would argue that upon closer examination i think it becomes clear that certain elements of the craft, if you will, the craft of thinking, reading, writing, certain elements are repetitive and mechanical in nature. Summarizing, for instance, translating, formatting, even spelling and grammar to, to a certain degree are essentially algorithmic. These can be boiled down to specific rules and it can be executed in a machinic way. And so I think that that's fine. And that type of thing should be systematically outsourced to the machines. I think we as writers and thinkers should learn to do that and do that to the fullest. On the other hand, the irreducibly human elements of valuable knowledge work, those have to do with the motivations, the tastes, the styles, and the values and virtues that are involved that drive any given work. These are the irreducibly human elements. I think they require patient human study and deliberate practice, focus and, and intentionality and cultivated judgment. All of these things are in the domain of the human. And I think it's all of these things that we should try to hold fast to, because these are the things that I, I just don't see, at least anytime soon, machine intelligence um, coming anywhere near these. These, I think, are the elements that have always differentiated the great works as well. You know, if you think about what authors you really admire or what pieces of work have really stood the test of time, they often do so for these elements. There's no great work that is memorable to you because the spelling was so good, right? Or because the formatting was so good, right? These are the relatively mechanical things that can be delegated to machines and which AI right now can handle really, really quite swimmingly, which are not 
really the magic, right? There's nothing wrong with outsourcing those things. Those have never been the things that really make the great works great. It's these other kind of more intangible things around judgment and values and motivations and ultimate visions, which are currently not done at all well by the AI. In fact, the, the current AI, as we know it, can't come anywhere close to these things. Whereas current AI does, in fact, a good job with these more mechanical tasks that I alluded to before. And so this, I think, points to the correct way to separate the different elements of thinking and knowledge work. And I think it gives us the, the best criterion for where it is appropriate to go full throttle on using AI for our work and where we should be absolutely staunch in our refusal to delegate. As the quantity of all of the generic machine output increases in the world, like as you see more and more noise getting published by people who are just shamelessly using these tools to pretty much say anything and publish anything. I think soulful work, you know, the irreducibly human work that is ultimately underwritten by the human soul is going to actually become even more scarce relatively, right? Just because if it's virtually free to generate machine output, then you're going to see way more of it. And by comparison, the hard patient work of human thought is going to become really precious. It's going to become really rare. Artificial intelligence, I think, is going to allow individual authors to generate legitimately soulful work with a newfound level of scale and leverage, because we are going to use these tools for the mechanical aspects. And that's going to save us a lot of time, but we're going to, we're going to hold fast to the soulful elements. And I think this is this is the winning strategy and the correct way to think about it. Doing this is going to become a fine art, knowing how to delegate to AI, but also knowing how to maintain the soulful elements. This is going to be difficult. People, like there's going to be a lot of trial and error and it's it's not going to be obvious. You're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to figure it out together while, you know, maintaining the soul of our work. The writers who successfully weather this storm and and figure this out, they're not going to maintain soul out of some sort of mm, atavistic moral reason of philosophical humanism, but they're going to maintain soul. The winning thinkers are going to maintain soul because soul really is, and it will continue to be a kind of objective advantage, an objective differentiator. It is in a way where the real alpha is for humans thinking and speaking to other humans. And so as the multitude throws itself into naive humanism on the one side or a kind of naive Faustianism on the other side, I say to you, let us simply cultivate our souls. It might sound simple. It might even sound corny or cheesy, but that is ultimately how the situation looks to me. Let us simply invest our time and our effort to gain leverage with the machine assistance where appropriate, only with regard to those elements for which machine assistance is appropriate. And then with the time that we save, let's plow everything we have into soul. I'm Justin Murphy. This is Other Life. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a minute to subscribe to the channel if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening on the podcast. You can check the show notes for other ways to get involved, like if you want to join the community or give us your response to this and other you know similar topics that are very important right now. We want to hear from you. You can check out the community or there are a few other links I'll put in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Thank you. I appreciate it. Remember, cultivate the soul. Go all in on the soul. That's the precious element in this AI bottleneck we're living through. Thanks, folks. Until next time, over and out.